Hello, it's 10th of February 2019, and this is episode 91 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis, and commentary, with focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. And how has your week been, Rachel? It's been very well. Thank you. Um, I brought a book of infographics on The Force Awakens today, which hmm. delighted me quite a lot. It's um, full of helpful things like a useful family tree illustrating how Kylo Ren is related to everyone. It's quite complicated. Um, <laughs> and also telling me things like what the chain of command in the First Order is and the number of droids proportional to the number of humans in the film. So... Yeah, it was very good. I found out that The Force Awakens has a very human-centric bias, which shouldn't surprise people, but it is what it is. Yeah, it does. I think that was one of the criticisms that came out after the movie, actually. One of the many, you know, because of Star Wars fans, we just can't stop. Yes. Um, that people wanted more aliens. Yeah. So. Like, for me, I don't mind, because I always gravitate towards the human characters, but I understand that lots of people really love the aliens, and for them, it bums them out a bit that underrepresented so yeah <laughs> hopefully we'll get more in nine though so we will see um how's it mm-hmm. been for you Kirsty? it's been good it's been pretty light on star wars aside from the new resistance episode and then last night i was like half watching the last jedi as i was falling asleep oh um <laughs> so i watched like half of it and then the rest i was like kind of vaguely listening and then i woke up just right at the end during crate so nice watch that part um and I was watching it because I wanted like a fresh light on some of the stuff that we're going to talk about later in terms of recent leaks. Okay, interesting. Um, which I won't get into now, obviously. But um, yeah, it just puts some some of the scenes into an interesting, I don't know, a, a new point of view, I should say, which is no bad thing. So Yeah, lovely. Um, I Hopefully you managed to watch all the essential scenes that are relevant for our discussion despite falling asleep. <laughs> yes exactly yeah good i'm glad um i certainly haven't rewatched it so i'll be relying on your fresh insights to an extent there i'm um, sure you can remember the key points <laughs> yeah I, I do think i have it scarred in my memory which makes it sound like too much of a negative but it's definitely firmly in there so yeah it's very good and i'm not concerned i will warn people in advance that this show is going to be very light on non-spoiler content i'm afraid so I'd estimate that about 70% of what we're going to talk about consists of spoilery discussion. So basically, all the spoilery stuff will be left to the latter half of the show. So there'll be a very clear cut-off point between where the general discussion stops and where the spoilers start. And we'll, of course, include the spoiler siren. So you don't need to be afraid of being spoiled accidentally because we're looking out for you and it's all okay. Don't be afraid. <laughs> See what you did there, Kirsty. It's great. <laughs> um, yeah, and just in some non-Star Warsy stuff, you wanted to mention the new Melissa McCarthy film, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Um, which we both saw this weekend and we both really enjoyed, right, Kirsty? Oh, it was so good. Mm. I mean, I knew it would be because her and Richard E. Grant are both fantastic actors and the story was really interesting. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've decided I'm going to read the book that it's based on too because it was just so intriguing. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, amazing performances, and I don't know, I almost think that he might deserve the awards more than Adam Driver, who's been nominated alongside him in lots of categories. Not that either of them seem to be winning them, because it's all been Mahershala Ali for Green Book, but... (laughs) 
Yeah, I know what you mean, out of those two. So just while I get it out of the way quickly, you are a blasphemer, Kirsty. How dare you? <laughs> it's just, it was really good. I mean, I'm probably biased because I felt like his part was almost the spiritual successor to Withnail. Yeah. And that's my favourite Richard E. Grant role and probably lots of people's. Yeah. And probably one that he's most well known for, but he just did such a fantastic job. Definitely. And being completely serious, I agree with you. I do think Adam was really good in Black Klansman, but Richard E. Grant just had a better part, I think, in Can You Ever Forgive Me? And he definitely stands out more. He's just this really like charming like roguish guy who becomes close friends with Melissa McCarthy's character and he's so exquisitely flawed is the best way I can think of to describe him so he kind of presents this like happy-go-lucky face to the world but you can tell there's lots of suffering and pain underneath it and that's never really explored or dug into in any depth but you know it's there and that's a testament to how good the performance is. Mm-hmm. yeah and I thought Melissa was amazing too like that yeah. character and of course she's based on a real person was so fascinating and I was saying to someone yesterday that I've been kind of surprised having now watched it that her performance has been sort of glossed over with awards not that awards are everything yeah but that I hadn't really heard much about it yeah um and she did such an amazing job but I was saying to you as well it kind of throws up all of these interesting questions the story about the importance of likability when it comes to women and especially female artists and creators that they have to kind of develop these personas in a way that maybe sometimes male media personalities don't have to yeah no that's so true so there's that really interesting conversation between her and her agent where the agent is just like you need to show gratitude and you need to be polite and accommodating and gracious and Melissa McCarthy is like screw that like because that's just not who she is and yeah it was just really brought out in a very effective way and it's just so rare to see that sort of character presented on screen especially as like the protagonist the hero of the piece and I think it did a really great job of showing her in a way that's unvarnished but you still sympathize with her and you like her throughout the whole thing yeah so I highly recommend it to people yeah no it's really great And also, before we move on, I have to mention our new introductory music by Christy, which we are so, so happy with. And we can't thank Christy enough. It's really beautiful. Honestly, it just moves me, really, that someone would create something so beautiful for our little podcast. So thank you so much. It really touched me. It's great. It's magical. (laughs) I'm so happy with it thank you so much Christy I really love the music that your friend Miranda made for us as well at the beginning of our show absolutely and it's been really great to have that but it's been a couple years now and it's just nice to get a bit of a freshen up yeah Um, exactly goes with the new art as well so we've got mm -hmm. all new basically the format hasn't really changed too much but yeah in terms of the look and the opening music we are definitely in a new era, so that's exciting because I think Star Wars is entering a new era as well, so it's good <laughs> to keep up with that. <laughs> so the first thing we want to talk about in the news, is, and actually the only thing <laughs> which says a lot about how little formal official news about Star Wars there has been this week, um, is that some new guests have been announced for Celebration. The actor who first brought the legendary Wookiee Chewbacca to life is returning to Star Wars Celebration Chicago this year, and he's bringing along quite a crew. Peter Mayhew will once again join old friends and excited fans to celebrate more than 40 years of his iconic character, Han Solo's best friend and loyal co-pilot Chewie. 
Meet Mayhew at the top's autograph area, along with newcomer Donald Faison, the actor behind the swaggering Rodian ace pilot Hype Faison on Star Wars Resistance, and Jason Isaacs, the voice of the Grand Inquisitor on Star Wars Rebels. Right, I have to stop you there, just because like it blows my mind that Jason Isaacs is involved in Star Wars. I kind of oh. think I already knew this, like somewhere yeah. deep in my mind, but I think because I haven't seen Rebels it didn't quite register oh, yeah. with me and jason isaacs is just such a legend and he is confession mode he's he was actually one of my first crushes and oh really it, and it's who horrible. has lucius malfoy captain hook i hate myself but it was kind of a mix of lucius malfoy and captain hook <laughs> i feel he's better really about captain hook than lucius malfoy because that captain hook he he's meant to be sexy okay i don't care what anyone else tells me the captain hook he plays in 2003 piece of pan is sexy as hell and oh yeah and he he plays mr darling as well doesn't he so it's yeah very interesting he does which raises all these like weird freudian implications <laughs> <laughs> that could be a whole other podcast and yeah i think the lucius malfoy thing i was just going through a phase for men with blonde hair for whatever reason no, you don't need to explain it. Yeah, and he had lots of blonde hair, okay? So, yeah, that's my... No, he's really great. And he he's a great person in real life as well. Like, yeah. He's just, he comes across so lovely. Yeah, um, I've seen interviews yeah. with him and he seems like a sweetie. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I honestly think I'd go weak at the knees if I saw Jason. I <laughs> Maybe we should go and meet him. <laughs> no! Why not? It would just be too embarrassing and I just wouldn't no. know what to say. <laughs> and it would also have nothing to do with Star Wars because no. Oh, I think that's okay. He's known for all sorts of things. He was also in Avatar: The Last Airbender. Yeah, so that's true. He, he's a great voice artist as well as live action actor. So yeah, I'm sure you know when people appear at these events. I'm sure fans of all sorts of things they've done go and see them. You yeah, know, it doesn't have to be Star Wars. No, that's true. Yeah, be like, hello, I love you and Peter Pan. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, probably in that voice too. Um, but yeah, are you excited about these guests, Kirsty? Sorry, I dominated that. I think it's really great that Peter Mayhew's going to be there too, because when we get both Chewbacca's. Yes, definitely. Yeah, no, Peter so... always seems so lovely with the fans. Have you seen him posting on Reddit before? No. Yeah, he posts on Reddit sometimes. Oh my God, no. It's very occasional. But it will be like really random. Usually it's when someone posts a photo of like their kid dressed in like a cute Star Wars costume and there will just be like a top voted comment underneath it from Peter Mayhew and it's all like confirmed as his official account and stuff. And it's like, how lovely, thumbs up <laughs> or something. And it's just really sweet. That's awesome. I've seen him on Twitter quite a bit, but Reddit seems like a rarer choice for an actor to communicate with fans that's special yeah no i found it an interesting choice but yeah he owns it very well yeah also making her star wars celebration debut will be myrna velasco who brings an effervescent energy to tora doza on star wars resistance michael pennington moff jedgerud in return of the jedi and tom kane a veteran actor from star wars the clone wars who lent his voice to many characters including the narrator at the start of each episode and master yoda Kane will be joined by his former co-stars Catherine Tabor, the actor behind Padme Amidala, and Dee Bradley Baker, who gave life to an army of clones on Star Wars The Clone Wars and has added his voice to several other projects, including Star Wars Rebels and Star Wars Resistance. And the father of all clones, actor Tamura Morrison, who played Jango Fett and Commander Cody in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, respectively, will also be there. 
like cool that these guys will be there um obviously most of them are voice actors from the cartoons so like i personally probably wouldn't be getting their autographs but again i know all the shows have big followings so i'm sure it'll be exciting for the fans too yeah i saw that cat Tabor is reading the audiobook for the new padme book yes i saw that yeah no which is a really nice touch tom kane's narrator for the clone wars is such an iconic voice it's like really you know in that old world like war correspondent tone it's really well done so was he like an actual narrator for the show yeah, it's like, you know, the bit at the beginning where it's like kind of like a version of The Crawl. Oh, yes. Like, they, yeah. they sum up quickly what's been going on just as the episode starts. Right, yes. I'm surprised that Tamora Morrison is quite far down in terms of the press release. You'd think they'd trumpet him a bit more. So I feel like he's more prominent than the voice actors. But yeah, he's still in there. So it's nice. I'm sure he doesn't yeah. have any hard feelings about it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it depends how you read it, because it might be like they were saving the best to last, you know. Yeah, that's true, yeah. I need a glass hoffle ideology <laughs> rather than the other way. <laughs> <laughs> right, then the next thing that we want to talk about is the new episode of Resistance. Well, not so new when the episode is released, but <laughs> the newest for us. <laughs> Sorry, guys, we can't watch the new episode before recording so we're always like a week behind yeah so you just have to bear with us yeah sorry time difference problems <laughs> um yeah so the episode we're going to discuss today is the first order occupation and one line synopsis for this is kaz scrambles to help sonara escape the platform as the first order sends a contingent of stormtroopers to hunt a spy right so yeah Kirsty, would you like to give a little overview of your thoughts on the episode yeah, I think it's really great. I'm kind of bummed that Sonara's gone, but I'm hoping it's not the last that we see of her. Yeah, I very much got the impression that she's coming back from how they left it with her. I'd be shocked if we didn't see her again. I hope so, because I kind of leave it on this interesting note where Kragen's like, oh, looks like you're ready to come home, but where's home for Sonara now? Because yeah. she's made these really interesting connections. And yeah, is she, does she really belong with the pirates? Yeah, I don't think she does. I think yeah. she's got better friends out there for her. Yeah, and she <laughs> kind of like looks wistfully off in the direction of the Colossus, doesn't she? Yeah, I mean, it'd be hard for her to go back now unless they somehow get rid of the First Order eventually, but I don't know how that's going to happen. Yeah, and I really liked how it was very much like building on the previous episode. We're really getting into the rhythm of the series now and there's nothing that's filler, really, in this episode. It's all about the plot and moving things along. And yeah, there are all kinds of interesting facets to how the First Order occupation, ding ding, um, was being <laughs> presented. Like, especially with someone like Tam being like, oh yeah, they're doing a really great job. We need their help to keep it all secure and stuff. And it's like, that's not an unreasonable view to hold if you really don't know much about the First Order. And as far as you're concerned, they're just helping out and they rescued, and they rescued Tora. You would think they were good guys, basically, in that situation. So it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what they've been going for with the impression they want to give off. So it's working. And it's interesting to get this now after The Force Awakens and see how, like, that's probably how the average person in the galaxy thought of them at this point. If their world hadn't been occupied or oppressed yet, um, you know, before the Hosnian Prime destruction, it was probably like, oh, yeah, great. They're here to help us out. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, Dozer already seems to be regretting it because 
he's like wait a minute this is my platform yeah um so it's interesting to see how his ideas will develop because it's kind of already done yeah so it's going to be really hard for him to put the genie back in the bottle now yeah no exactly he relinquished his control the moment he let those stormtroopers on (laughs) yeah like how did you feel about what they did with the kaz and sonara relationship in this episode oh i really liked it Mm, i think there's an element of sonara like you know they kind of play up the idea that the affection or at least the romantic part of the affection is one-sided yes um but I'm not sure that's the case. I just think it's like not something that she can allow herself to focus on because she doesn't feel like she's been able to be honest with these people. Yes. Um, so we don't really have a true insight into how she does feel about Kaz because we're kind of getting everything from his perspective. Yeah, exactly. She does kind of brush him off, but it's kind of like, what else could she do in that situation? It's not like, oh, I love you, Kaz. <laughs> it's, it's just, there is literally no time for that given the scenario that they're in. And yeah, I felt it was done in a nice realistic way because it's probably also a question of how much time have these people had together? Because it's not like a Rain Kylo situation where they've been in each other's minds and they know each other better than they know themselves, kind of. Which might be a bit of an exaggeration, but in that case, there's this like extra kick to that dynamic that makes their connection and emotional depth of feeling that much more intense. Whereas regular people don't have that. Yeah, it's like it It could be something, but they obviously don't have time for any of that. So, yeah, you get like Kaz insisting to BB-8 that he likes Sonara as a friend. I like her as a friend. So obviously <laughs> yeah. BB-8 has noticed, you know, something extra to his interactions with her. Yeah, Kaz um, is not particularly subtle. No, he's really not. Like, when he says to Sonara, like, we've got no time for sensitive goodbyes. And she's like, sensitive goodbyes? <laughs> Bless like, him. It's dude. quite sweet. Yeah, you're not hiding that very well, are you? Yeah. But... He's excellent at putting his foot in his mouth. Yeah, bless. Yeah, it's pretty adorable. But I really loved it when, you know, he was taking her onto the hangar and he said, you might be a pirate, but I know you're a good person because that's what it comes down to. Yes, definitely. Because it's about seeing beyond like one aspect of a person because Sonara is obviously mixed up with a bad crowd and has done bad things but Kaz recognizes that that's not the totality of who she is and yeah I really appreciated that because that's so integral to Star Wars that recognition of the complexity of people and how there's still potential in someone who can do bad things. Yeah and I don't think his faith is misplaced because when she gets on there and then realizes she has to get back out and help Kaz Mm. like she does that yeah so and at the risk of then you know losing her way off and having to find another way so she does care yeah absolutely um that awkward elevator ride was so good it really got me thinking and i know i sound like i have a one-track mind and i just have to accept it and deal with it but it got me thinking so hard about the elevator scene in the last jedi this is almost like this comical contrast to that because obviously the elevator ride in Resistance is just like really, really awkward. <laughs> and they're like, I uh, don't know what to say to you right now. So just gonna say nothing. Whereas Rain Kyler are obviously like, I'll help you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah, it just yeah, tickles me. <laughs> Disney Star Wars seems to have a thing for elevator rides. We got one in Solo and in Rogue One as well. Yes. So. This one had like the cheesy background elevator music. So. Oh yeah, it was definitely way more comedic than any of the other elevators. They went scenes. all out, but yeah, it was great. 
Yeah, I guess they're channels for transformation. You go in one way and you come out another. Deep, deep thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very symbolic. Yeah. Like, were there any uh, like other key parts of the episode that really stuck out to you, Kirsty? Well, this might be a negative, but it was mm. just something I noticed both times I watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of disappointed that Tam didn't get to say goodbye to Sonara. Yeah. Um, just because I remember when, you know, they first started getting to know each other. And we were saying, like, I remember when we discussed it on the show, we were like, oh, I'm really excited about where this friendship could go. Because, you know, to have a friendship between these two cool female characters. Yeah. And it never really got off the ground. Yeah, you're right. Um, it didn't really. It seems like it developed a lot off screen. Mm. Um, because Tan genuinely seemed disappointed and kind of hurt that she didn't get to see her before she left. But yeah, the only thing I can think of recently was that they were, you know, both in Tora's bedroom playing video games. But that's not even them hanging out one-on-one yeah it's not a particularly close friendship yeah yeah like i, I was kind of hoping that town would be just as important to sonara as kaz but in terms of what we've actually ended up seeing on screen like for the arc of the show and their character development is mostly been kaz nara you know yeah no you're right i i do think that disney souls does have a thing where like when women have relationships they're almost always with men not necessarily romantic relationships, but pretty much any relationship. And you do get some relationships between women, but they always seem so brief. And this will sound really cynical, but sometimes it almost feels like an obligation. Like you can sense that they're aware that, oh shit, we haven't actually had female characters talking to each other in the film yet. We should probably do that. Um, and yeah, I wish that it would become more built into it somehow, you know, and become like a key theme of the movie. Because they can be so interesting and compelling when done well. I think this is the first and only time this is going to happen anywhere. But like I saw The Favourite recently. <laughs> and The Favourite does such a good job of building this whole film and all the drama and all the like tension and action around the relationships between these three women. And it's so fascinating in terms of how that's explored and how they engage with each other and how they perceive each other and how they interact. And it's just like, God, it's electric in this, you know? Like, why doesn't more media do this? So yeah, basically I'm saying the Resistance show should learn from The Favourite. <laughs> yeah. Only in that respect, because That's The Favourite has a lot of other things in it that would not be appropriate for a children's <laughs> animated show. Uh, but yeah, it has great female relationships and I would like to see more of that in Star Wars media, please. Yeah, I always think it's such a lost opportunity because female friendships and relationships are so rich yeah you know just just like relationships between anyone but it's like show that depth yeah it can be interesting like you don't have to paint by numbers or have them talk about men all the time or even if they do like it can be really about something else you know like Mm. i don't know yeah (laughs) but yeah it's just one of those things where you know i love this show so i really don't have much negative to say about it yeah but that was one thing that i kind of hoped they'd really go there with and they just didn't yeah so it's not to say they never will maybe we'll get more between tam and tora as well yeah um but yeah it just felt to me like oh i guess it's a bit late for that now unless sonara comes back which obviously i hope but yeah no and i think you're right because um, like, like it really strikes me now you're saying that that I hadn't even thought about the Sonara and Tam relationship as something to discuss and yeah I think that's pretty damning yeah there hasn't been much like even when we've seen them hanging out like I said as you know the four of them last week 
it was more about setting up what was going to happen. We got shown like the fact that Tora and Sonara cared about each other, so then Sonara felt bad when she was part of why Tora had gone missing. Yeah. But yeah, Tam was just kind of there, like. Yeah. We need more Tam-centric episodes as well. I feel like she hasn't been the focus for a while now. Yeah, because she was kind of marketed as a lead and then that hasn't really come to the surface. Yeah, she's slipped by the wayside a bit. But yeah, hopefully that's still to come. Yeah, exactly. There's plenty of time still. Exactly. And I think they're setting up an arc for her with like making a big point of her trust in the First Order and her faith in them. Because I would like to think that we'll see some exploration of how that view gets changed for her beyond just her witnessing something horrible and it just being like, snap, all change. So, yeah, we will see. Mm -hmm. I did see a little teaser about next week, I think, that was kind of revealing why the First Order are so interested in the Colossus. Oh, yes. No, I watched that. That was really cool. Yeah. I appreciate it. I know there's been lots of speculation about that, but then the... The explanation made total sense. I was like, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like a practical reason. They need somewhere to refuel, so. Yeah. No, and I found that quite refreshing because I wasn't even sure we were going to get a reason. And then when I saw the reason in the clip, I, I know we're like dancing around this a bit, but we'll discuss it fully when we actually see the episode. Um, I was like, wow, yeah, that makes complete logical sense. And I really appreciated that because... I don't think I necessarily expected them to have such a plausible explanation. I thought it might just be the First Order want to dominate everything. They want to control yeah, everything. Yeah, just evil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like you say, there's a real solid reason why they want it, which, yeah, I, I was glad for. Mm-hmm. I mean, the First Order grows so big and successful. Well, you know, in terms of, like, organisation or obviously at the top, we can see the leadership's a total mess. <laughs> yeah. But logistically, they've got things down pat, so... Yeah. This is all part of that. Maybe Hux is more intelligent than we give him credit for. (laughs) He probably has minions working stuff like this out for him, though, doesn't he? Yeah, he he might not have anything to do with this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we need Space Station B here, and we need so-and-so fuel supplies. (laughs) God. Hux is such a pedant, though. I could see him doing that. Right, so with all the non-spoilery stuff out of the way, we're about to transition into our spoiler section. The first thing we're going to talk about in spoilers is a genuine, pretty much stone-cold confirmed leak that's hard to dispute, although some people have, which we'll discuss in due course. Um, But it's basically all visual stuff. So it's how characters look and costumes and stuff like that. So it's things that will quickly become revealed on like merchandise packaging and in trailers and in posters. So if you're comfortable with hearing discussion of the visual looks of the characters, then I think you're probably fine to listen to the first segment of the spoiler discussion. But after that, we go into more plotty stuff. So I'd recommend cutting off after we discuss the photos. Would you say that's fair, Kirsty? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to gauge because we are spoiler fiends and not everyone has their own comfort level. So I want to be careful. I don't want to ruin anything for everyone. But with these leaks that have come out these past few days, I've seen people really freaking out and being like, oh, I don't want to see anything. Mm. You know, I might have to log off social media because I might see something I don't want to, which is totally fair. And everyone has to decide that for themselves. But this stuff is all stuff that you're going to see before the actual movie. And it's not really stuff that's going to spoil story. Yeah. Or at least it can only spoil story in terms of what we might then speculate as to what it could mean. But we could be totally wrong. So, yeah. No, I would definitely say that if you're 
like nervous about it and think that you might not want to know I'd say just be safe and don't listen but if you're curious and want something to tide you over that's episode nine related then go ahead basically I think that's reasonable right so with that said let's have the spoiler siren I shouldn't do it Okay, so the first thing we want to discuss is the motherload of photo leaks and concept art, because it was a mix of the two, that came to us through Reddit. So I'm just going to bring up the post to remind myself of how exactly this worked. Basically what happened, it's that the moderators on the Star Wars leaks subreddit, they have a good source who has proven reliable for some of their leaks on the previous films. And they supplied the moderators of this subreddit with a whole bunch of photos of actors and costume and concept art. And so the images were put up by the moderator Jedi Paxis. So thank you very much. We bow to you indeed. And yeah, there is a lot here. Um, I think the best way to go through this is probably to go through them in order, one by one. So we'll obviously discuss some of these people in more detail than others because it's a mix of things like aliens and droids as well as like main actors. And yeah, there's more we can say about some aspects. So yeah, the first one we have is image A. I will link to the image in the show notes, by the way, so people have a reference point for this. Um, is a bizarre looking alien character who... I, I don't even know how to describe it, Kirsty. Do you have any like visual reference point for that guy? Uh not really. <laughs> <laughs> he looks really weird. Yeah, it's just concept art, so this could easily not even make it in. Yes, sure. Um He's wearing rags that look like he could be like on Jakku or something. Yeah. And does he have goggles? It looks like it. Or something on his head at least. Yeah. But it's kind of taller as to tell. And his feet kind of look like claws. Yeah. So he's an interesting little guy. Again, supports the idea of JJ wanting to bring lots of visual diversity in and lots of different types of aliens and things, which people should hopefully find stimulating. Um, The second image shows a new droid that will apparently annoy BB-8. And we've heard a little bit about this droid. And apparently it's going to be like a sort of mini droid that is hidden within BB-8. Is that your understanding, Kirsty? I think so. Like, he looks really small, so it's like a megaphone on top of a single wheel. Yes. So I think it's going to be able to move around really cool. And apparently he's called Dio. Yeah. It's certainly an interesting design. We haven't seen a droid like this before in Star Wars. Looking at it, it's hard to get a sense for how it will play in the movie. I think it will be a highly auditory <laughs> droid, to be honest. I think it'll be sold by the noises it makes because, yeah, it looks like a megaphone. Something is going to need to come out of that megaphone, basically. And we will have a better frame of reference when we hear it. (laughs) So Yeah, Yeah, it looks very, like, rustically put together, kind of like Bucket from Resistance. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm looking forward to there being, like, a little antagonistic relationship between droids again because we need that. We haven't really had that since C-3PO in R2. Right, then C is where we start getting to the real meat of this because we have a photo of Richard E. Grant as a First Order officer. And 
honestly, I feel like the first half hour that I was looking at this image, because I looked at it solidly for hours, of course, I didn't do anything else. <laughs> um, I genuinely thought that was Donald Gleason as Hux. So, really? Really? Honestly. He's got a bit of a receding hairline then. <laughs> I, my eyesight isn't the greatest, okay? And I also clearly managed to avoid looking at the um, labels for that time. Um, but yeah, I think it's just because his posture is so similar and the outfit is essentially the same. So it kind of tricked my eyes. Um, but yeah, this makes so much sense, essentially. It almost reached the point where I would have been surprised if he hadn't been playing a First Order officer. Oh, same. Because, uh, yeah, it was like the very popular line of speculation that that's what he would be. I know people were also wondering if he'd be fraud, but um, yeah, it just makes sense for the kind of actor that he can be. He's very versatile, but you just immediately gravitate towards this kind of role for him. Yes. And there's a Captain Kennedy-shaped hole in my heart. Yeah. And I think he might be able to fill it. Same. I'm excited. Yeah. I think he'll be really, like, imperious and scary, because in Can You Ever Forgive Me, he's just this, like, charming, like, roguish con man. But I don't think he's going to be bringing those qualities to this character. This character... I'd expect him to be very severe and like focused and down to business, which I think is what people want and expect from that sort of character. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of his characters do have like this sinister underlying quality to them. Yeah, I feel like he's played lots of villains in his career. I This is only speculation, so this isn't a spoiler, but I did see a great comment from someone on Reddit, unfortunately I can't remember who, and they suggested that Kylo's like first motion as Supreme Leader might be to boot Hux out and replace him with Richard E. Grant's character, which I would love. Oh my god. <laughs> Can you imagine that though? I have this like mental image of Hux being like demoted to like the like kitchen boy. <laughs> well, it's interesting because we know that Donal finished filming quite a long time ago. Yes. So what happens to Hux? Like what point of the story is he kind of left out of things yeah hux's sticky end yeah yeah how does that come about it's not looking good for hux right now to be honest but again we don't know anything so Ooh. we will see <laughs> oh poor baby hux yeah <laughs> i'm surprised he lasted this long to yeah. be honest no he's had good innings to be honest and there's gonna be lots of stories to tell about him in the books in the expanded universe so it's all good um yeah but final thoughts is that i'm really really excited to see richard e grant in this movie because he's so talented and i'm sure he's gonna bring a lot to it uh right and then d is just concept art of a resistant soldier there's not much to say here resistant soldiers they have pretty poor fashion sense unfortunately not really their priority but it should always be a priority kirsty I think safety first, so he's got a sturdy-looking helmet on. Look how fabulous the First Order look. The Resistance should at least try to come close now. They don't have the money. <laughs> You're being too First practical. You're being too practical. <laughs> yes, yes, they're the good guys. Yeah, the good guys never have money. Money is bad. <laughs> Capitalism is bad. Yeah, That's, that's what Canto Bite showed us. Yeah, exactly. It's a message I fully stand behind. Um, right, and then... Image E shows Dominic Monaghan as a resistance officer looking similarly drab and <laughs> unfashionable. Camo, conscious. practical. <laughs> Sorry. I've been Blend a monster in. at this point. I've been a monster, okay? Um, but yeah, no, like it's cool to have it confirmed who Dominic is playing. 
I had suspected this, to be honest, for a long time. And I think yeah. there was lots of theorizing about this. I think when we saw that he took um, Kelly Marie Tran and Billy Lord to like a football game, was it? Was it football? Yeah, in, in the UK. I was like, I bet he's resistance. You know, so if he's with those actors, it seems pretty clear that they've been filming together. And if they're all filming together, that probably means one thing. And yeah, this mm-hmm. supports that. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, hopefully he'll bring some of his comedic chops to it. He's got a nice sense of humour. Right, and then image five shows a new alien. And yeah, could be anyone. <laughs> it's a dude, robes, a spear. L- looking cool, a bit more fashion conscious. So I approve. He looks more flash than the Resistance members. Yeah, there's really not much to say about these kind of pieces because we, we don't even know. Yeah, exactly. Well, I've got things yeah. to say about some of them. So that's why I'm bothering. Oh, yeah, later on. But yes. this one, it's like, yeah, you look cool. I don't know. Yeah. Like, we don't know if you'll play an important part or just be in the background or not yeah. end up in the film together. Yeah. Like, so there's probably concept art of like aliens who, even if they make it into the film, they'd literally be in like a crowd shot for 0.5 seconds. So, exactly. yeah, they're probably not significant. Like Constable Zuvio. <laughs> Rest in peace. Um, right, then Image G is a Mon Calamari officer. Um, who, like, I presume, would you say they look resistance to you? Like, the caption just says Young Mon Cal. Um, but, yeah, I'm gonna guess resistance, because we've seen other Mon Calamari in the resistance before, but there's no way of telling, really. So. It'd be pretty cool to see one working for the First Order, but I'd be surprised. Yeah. Mostly, it seems to be humans for the First Order anyway, and then, yeah, Mon Cal you just associate with... The good guys. Yeah, Akbar, Radis, you know, yeah. they're on that side, so. No, exactly. I'd be very surprised to see the First Order diversify their recruitment specifications like that. They seem like the Empire, they seem a bit speciest. Um, right, okay, then here we get to the really, really good stuff. So people will be excited for this. It's a stretch of actual main characters. Um, so H is Ray, or Pad Padme Ray. <laughs> Because she looks so much like Geonosis Padme, it's ridiculous. She does. So she's in mostly white. It's pretty similar to what her getup has been in the previous two movies, to be honest. Which, I mean, it kind of surprises me in that, you know, I kind of assumed that when Rey was on Jakku, she wasn't really wearing those rags out of choice. Mm. It was like, well, this is what's most practical for, you know, the climate, and this is all I can afford. But she's left, and like the other stuff that she's wearing is a pretty similar style. So it's like, okay, I guess that's just what you're used to. Yeah, I guess she decided she liked it. Um, although to take it a bit more seriously, it might also be about taking ownership of her past to some extent and being like, this is a part of me, so I'm going to embrace that. I'm not going to completely move on and change into something completely different because, yeah, this is who I am. Yeah. I'd just like to see her in something a bit more fabulous, but yeah. I'm sure it will still look good because Daisy's gorgeous. She'll look good in anything. Yes. And she did look good in The Last Jedi as well. Definitely. Um, it's just funny that they, they even keep these details, like her wristband, the belt. Um, she has a new armband that looks like it might be covering the scar that she got from the Praetorian Guard, mm. which is very interesting because, of course, she wouldn't know how to explain that to people if she's not telling people that she was fighting alongside Kylo Ren yeah. against Snoke and his guards. Um, but it's also that she might be hiding it from herself. Yeah, exactly. Deep, deep stuff going on. Um, but yeah, there's lots of 
little aspects to this costume that I really like and appreciate. Um, I think that it's obviously a much purer shade of white than what we've seen in the past um, because previously she was wearing like an off-white beigey colour in The Force Awakens and this time it's very much like I'm the beacon of the light, I'm the new hope and stuff. So again, I think it fits into that whole idea of the regression that we saw at the end of The Last Jedi, where it was all back to like going, oh, I like this, in the cockpit. No, I agree. And you can see that in Kylo's costume choices that we're going to talk about in a minute too. Um, by the end of The Last Jedi, they've obviously both gone on these amazing journeys together and part. And then because of the choices that our boy makes... Ray is forced to make certain decisions that she probably doesn't want to make but feels compelled to and then they kind of have to go their separate ways and there's going to be an element of denial and secrecy and trying to process everything. Yeah. So in a way, yeah, it's like their costumes are kind of like security blankets. Yeah, definitely. And I also find it notable how I see nothing of the resistance in that costume either because I thought with how at the end of The Last Jedi she's clearly like embedded in the core of the resistance I thought we might see a costume for her that represented that a bit more but she still seems to be very very separate which I found notable I didn't think that we would see anything on her about the resistance to be honest Mm. because her storyline is so distinct yes like I know she has to come back together with them and she's on their side but in terms of actually like working logistically with them I mean I don't know how much we'll see of that in Nine but I still think, like, plot-wise, her and Kylo's stuff will be separate to an extent. Yeah. Maybe a bit more intertwined than with The Last Jedi, but it's still, like, this is a clear dynamic that's going to be resolved to whatever end by the end of the story, and then you've got, like, the Finn, Poe, Rose side of things. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, right, and also, this is just a final thing. Does it look to you like her trousers are more, like, form-fitting? in this outfit than they were in The Force Awakens. She seemed to have like quite baggy trousers, if I remember, in The Force Awakens. Um, in The Force Awakens they were, and then The Last Jedi, she has the fitted capris. Right, yeah. And it looks like capris so, again? Yeah, they kind of look similar to The Last Jedi's. Yeah. Or as you pointed out to me, it looks like long underwear. <laughs> I mean, that's... I didn't want to say it because I don't want to put that image in people's minds <laughs> and like ruin it for people. Yeah. But that is kind of what it looks like to me. It's like a good foundation. Yes. And then maybe depending on what location they're at or whatever stage of the story is at, it would be like easy for her to throw something else on over the top or like, you know, kind of like, again, she did in The Last Jedi with the jacket and the poncho and things like that. Yeah. So. I think we're going to see various outfits for her, to be honest. She had one complete costume change in The Last Jedi and I think we're going to get the same in this movie. Um, I can't guarantee that and I don't know that for a fact, but I'd be surprised if we didn't. I mean, I hope so. Like, from a cynical point of view, it's, it sells more toys. Yeah, so. exactly. And once we've got out of this discussion, so I don't want to get too deep into spoilery stuff. I'll talk about a reason why I think that might be the case. But yeah, for now, I'll leave it at that. Um, yep, and let me move on to image I, which is a hooded Kylo Ren. So... <laughs> It's so ridiculous. He's literally covered from head to toe. <laughs> well, I I missed that from The Force Awakens, to be honest. Mm. And so this is interesting because it's like the proportions are a mix of The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi's, 
which is a bit off. Like it's going to take some getting used to because he doesn't have that flowing robe like he did in The Force Awakens, which I love. Yes. So, I mean, it's kind of knightly, which again fits his aesthetic, but yeah yeah it's like a, it's like a mishmash yeah and he's very very clearly trying to cover up as much of himself as possible it's not a subtle metaphor basically and it is not the extravagant supreme leader look that people were speculating that he'd have yeah which again is an interesting choice because i mean we look at snoker's supreme leader he was wearing gold <laughs> kylo is obviously not interested in being a figurehead or being ostentatious yeah no fabulous crown for Kylo, sad times. Yeah, which I know fits his personality. I mean, we even got that in Bloodline when Leia was like, oh, my son wouldn't be interested in being the figurehead monarch yeah. of a planet. You know, that's not what he's about. Yeah. So, But you get the impression here that he's not particularly relishing in being supreme leader in terms of, like, having attention or people looking at him if he's got his mask back, you know? Yeah. I very much get a depressed monk vibe from him. <laughs> yeah which i find appropriate he needs to go through quite a lot of pain first to be honest oh yeah this is going to be the the kylo ran pain train for sure (laughs) yes um yeah and then continuing kylo um in image j we see concept art of his helmet which has been repaired with a red adhesive um and again this supports a super old leak um which came out from a marketing meeting and I think it looks really cool. It's the sort of thing where you read about it and you're like, mm. but then when you see the visual, it's like, okay, I can see how that would look really cool. Yeah, I'm going to be careful with this one because it does say concept art. So there could have been various iterations of what it might look like. Yes. So this might not be what we actually get. Absolutely. But like you say, this does look better to me than how it sounded from making Star Wars original descriptions. I think Jason compared it to Maul at some point, which is not what this is. No, absolutely not. Like, you get the little bits of red here and there, but it's not, like, all over. It doesn't particularly look like veins or... Yeah. You know, so... I can only think that perhaps he hadn't seen a visual of it then. Um, right, maybe. Yeah, like, and was just imagining what it might look like. Um, but yeah, it's very clearly the same mask, just repaired. It just really makes yeah. me feel sorry for the poor sod who was tasked with brushing that bugger up and reassembling it it's like oh come on oh I think it was Kylo himself (laughs) this is what he spent the last year doing sitting in his room you know um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail how there's those like monks who self-flagellate as they like chant I have an image of Kylo doing something oh yeah that's him (laughs) he probably has like like a self-flagellation machine that he uses while he's like painstakingly reassembling the mask and crying sorry oh dear and going too far with this um so, yeah, so I said earlier that I'd watched The Last Jedi again last night mm-hmm. and I was going to pay extra special attention to the mask-destroying scene. Okay. Um, which has always been a favourite moment of mine. But it's been in the back of my mind, like, since watching the film the first time and then this just kind of brings it full circle of, like, why he did that in that moment. And it wasn't really for himself, it was in reaction to what Snoke had said to him. Yeah. And I think that's what's key here because I think a lot of people are going to be thinking... Well, what was the point of that scene then? Because we, sh- you know, you show him destroying it and then he puts it back together. Mm. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But he destroyed it because of what someone else said. So it still always depends on someone else's perception of him. Yeah, definitely. So he wasn't really ready to get rid of it. So, I mean, after the events of The Last Jedi again, like, Ray rejects him. 
he runs back to this as a shelter and puts up a wall again between him and everyone else. Yeah. No, I, I've seen lots of dialogue around that and people acting like it's somehow J.J. Abrams reversing Ryan Johnson's de- decision in doing this. Well, I know people were worried about that or depending on perspective, some people were hoping for it. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you in that I don't think that his destroying the mask in the first place was meant to be this moment of self-actualization. It wasn't a healthy choice made for good reasons. It was something he did out of like anger and rage and frustration. And if you're going to get rid of the mask, those aren't good reasons to get rid of the mask. Like it should be a choice made out of recognition of the fact that it's freaking stupid. Like not not quite like that. You know, there's much more to it. But um, it should be a healthy, constructive choice, not a choice like founded on hate as it was in The Last Jedi. So, yeah, I think it makes complete sense that he'd go back to it because it's basically an anchor for him to this identity that he desperately needs to cling on to. Because if he isn't Kylo Ren, who is he? he? I don't think he wants to face the answer to that because he tried to lay himself bare with Rey and that went catastrophically wrong because of his bad choices. And yeah, he, like Ray in that pure white outfit, he's retreating into himself and retreating into the old ways and what he knows. And I think that's going to be very intentional and a point that's brought out by the movie itself, like whether explicitly or subliminally. I think that's a really great place for them to start. Yeah, definitely. I'd be shocked, to be honest, if these images weren't all like act one stuff. I think this is all from very early in the film. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I can't really see him keeping the mask on for a significant period of the film, so... Yeah, exactly. I think they're going to make use of Oscar nominee Adam Driver more than that, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Image K shows Poe, and just in line with what we were just saying about it being first act stuff, I think this image kind of plays into that for me. Because this outfit is the exact same outfit that Oscar Isaac was wearing in the very early location filming photos that leaked of Poe and Finn on a mission somewhere. And those photos were shot in August, right at the start of filming. And we know that JJ likes to approximately film things in order. So I think it's a safe bet to say that that's a first act costume for Poe. He might wear it throughout the entire film. So that might mean nothing. But... Again, it perhaps does add a little bit of support to the idea that these are all early costumes for the characters. Mm-hmm. I think he looks really good. He does. This is my favourite Poe look. He looks really great. I've heard lots of comparisons to Nathan Drake. And yeah, I totally see it. He looks very much like the swaggering adventurer. Mm-hmm. Like I do like Poe, but I'm not like his biggest fan. But yeah, I look at this and I'm like, yeah, dude, you look sexy as hell. Like Oscar Isaac <laughs> is always sexy. But he looks particularly good here. And I think this is the best Poe has ever looked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what they do with him, to be honest. Yeah. He had same. a really intriguing arc in The Last Jedi. And I'm like, hmm, where are they going to go now? So Yeah. So they definitely set him up as like the future leader of the Resistance, basically. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It'll be cool to see how that's treated. It's a shame we don't get a look at Finn here. I mean, if it's go- just going to be kind of what they look like during those leaked photos... Well, not leaked, but like paparazzi ones mm. of them shooting. I guess we have an idea because he was wearing like those Han Solo inspired blue and red pants and similar kind of like adventure get up just in different colours. They looked really good together. Yeah. The only main character we don't have a really good look at so far is um, Rose. 
I know. Yeah. <laughs> I really want to see what her hair. Yeah, same. <laughs> Does she still have the bangs? Is it long? Yeah. I hope they do something cool with her. I know it's not going to be super glamorous because you yeah, have resistance. But <laughs> she could still look good. Yeah, she can still look good. And they usually find a way to add a little creative twist to it, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, then L is a new alien mask. And it's an unfinished mask, apparently. Um, yeah, I... This doesn't look new to me. This kind of looks like the aliens that we've seen since the beginning of Star Wars. Like, you know, that guy from the cantina. Yeah, like a hammerhead. Yeah. Yeah, but that's what it looks like to me. Maybe it's just like a little variant on it. Yeah. Maybe it's like a mutation of that one or something. But yeah, sure looks like an alien. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. There's not much else to say about him. Then M. I really like M. This is creepy. <laughs> so this is a photo so this is a dude who, unless he's cut, of course, would presumably be in the movie. And yeah, he's sort of like really happy looking. But he also has these enormous horns, a bit like the Minotaur, but not quite. And green mm. skin and then like these baggy overalls. But yeah, humanoid. <laughs> yeah, but humanoid. And it's just a weird look. Uh, again, like all these photos are like potato quality. So it's hard to get a good look at any of these things. But it's just like i hope that's just an extra or like a background character because i could not take that oh seriously. yeah yeah i i might have like a one-line thing i don't know but yeah he's not gonna be a new lead <laughs> sorry ray we have a new hero for star wars although i do really like i can't remember his name it's like elo or something but like the character who interacts with poe in the oh Last yeah Jedi. i know yeah yeah he's Hello, cute. yeah or yeah. asti maybe i'm not sure um, but yeah, no, he has a lot of personality and he's quite tactile. You believe he's mm. real, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And then N is a new alien. and You can see even less of him. Yeah, you can see even less of him. It's a dude in black with like a creepy mask with big eyes. Yeah. Yeah. But this is just concept art. So yeah, that's different from art. the other one. So yeah, who knows? Um, yeah. It's all in black, so I guess it has a potentially Knights of Ren vibe, but I doubt it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, right, then O is where we go back to more interesting stuff, and that is Old Lando. And, yeah, what strikes you first about this image of Old Lando, Kirsty? That he looks like Donald Glover's Lando, which is awesome. Yeah, same. I was like, continuity! Woo! <laughs> yeah. It's really cute to see him going back to that. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I honestly looked at that the first time. I was like, is that a picture from Solo? Obviously, it's not. <laughs> and when I looked close enough, I could see it was Billy D. But yeah, it's really cool to see him back. Um, again, because these are reference photos, I think all the characters, all the actors were probably told to strike very like passive poses. So no mm-hmm. one is really like posing as if they're in character because he's just like there and the cape is covering his arms. And yeah, it's very static looking. And there's none of that, like, Lando swagger, but it's a nice costume, and he sure has that cape, which, yeah, yeah. Lando needs to have the cape, so it's good. Yellow looks good on him. It does. It's his colour. Um, right. And then the final two that we have are P and Q, and P is a group of aliens in very colourful costumes with, like, necklaces and extravagant jewellery. And the most notable thing about these guys is that we have seen these guys before as cutouts in the desert in Wadi Rum in Jordan, Mm -hmm. where they were filming there. So that's notable. So 
we can basically assume these people are from the sand planet essentially and yeah they look cool yeah so depending on your perspective of the speculation that can be like oh well i guess that's not jakku because you've got these people in extravagant dress or you could be like oh maybe there's a different side of jakku that does have more yeah. wealth and glamour that ray somehow didn't have access to yeah exactly so it is like an entire planet so or it could be like Jeddah, or mm. who knows i guess we'll find out soon exactly possibilities are endless but yeah they're very cool yeah. designs of all the aliens i probably like those the most because yeah, yeah i love the costumes and then they're the knights of ran <laughs> yes <laughs> the knights of ran are fabulous <laughs> i would so support that um yeah and then the final image is concept art i believe image q and it's this like bizarre slug alien <laughs> he's really cute he, is. I think he looks like the worm from labyrinth yes who's going to invite you inside for a cup of tea he, he really does like maybe like the worms like gross granddad kind of like in holiday <laughs> like in holiday special style like they did the labyrinth yeah. holiday special and it was all about the oh worm and his relatives like, that would be, like, the horny granddad one that would be, like, watching porn on the monitor. <laughs> See, I love it because, you know, I really felt like the caretakers in The Last Jedi had that Jim Henson vibe. Yes. So I hope that we get something like that here. And if we got that one, maybe we would. Yeah. No, I think across these images, you can see lots of creativity. And there's already been lots of hype about how, like, the movie's going to have practical effects. And there's this, like, huge cast of, like, aliens and colourful creatures and stuff. And these photos definitely support that. So there's clearly a lot of care being given to the design and to making it feel like a lived-in, vibrant world with lots of diverse characters. So, yeah, I was so excited to get this leak, honestly. I was like, finally! Thank you. Yeah, I remember I sent it to you, like, way past your bedtime in the UK. Um I was like, I can't wait until she wakes up and sees that there's been a legit leak, finally. Because, <laughs> yes. and, you know, not to be like, oh, we're desperate for leaks. Like, we know that this probably sucks for Lucasfilm and yeah. JJ. Sorry, JJ. But, you know, like, not to say they bring it upon themselves, but if we'd got at least something, yeah, maybe we wouldn't be so thirsty for it. Because, again, coming back to what we said at the beginning, this is nothing that spoils story. Yes. And this is all stuff that we're going to see on, like, action figures and packaging and stuff so you know it doesn't really do any harm yeah exactly <laughs> be trying to resolve myself with guilt <laughs> doesn't do any harm does it jj <laughs> well because it doesn't really tell me anything about the story no so... no it doesn't yeah like and i think we feel betrayed because of the broken promise that jj made to like give us little teasers and stuff which didn't happen so yeah and again yeah. we're not owed it but it oh, would have been nice because that's something that they can control yeah right so exactly oh, well. <laughs> right okay so i think now that we've discussed the photos um i think we can probably move on to the other leaks which do go more into plot stuff so i think i'm probably going to put the spoiler siren here again And yeah, I think from now on, if you're here, you need to be prepared to perhaps become aware of some of the main plot threads and devices that might be used in the movie. None of this is like huge, like film breaking stuff. You know, it's not like Kylo Ren dies. That is not a spoiler. <laughs> but like, there's nothing of that gravity, basically. It's just giving us sense of the general premise, perhaps. Would you say that's fair? Yeah. 
And I think to also say that because this stuff isn't like visual information, it's little less trustworthy. Yes. So I know there's been some talk of like the legitimacy of those photos and the concept art. And it's like, well, someone could fake this, but it would be an awful lot of effort to go through. Whereas yes. it's quite easy to write up a fake leak. Yeah, exactly. So, so these ones I'm treating with a little more caution. Yeah. They are from Making Star Wars. And I think Jason from Making Star Wars is being much more cautious about what he reports now because there was an incident with the filming of The Last Jedi where Jason got a very elaborate report about a big fight between the Knights of Ren and Kylo and Rey and Luke that was meant to happen like, on the island. And of course that didn't happen. It was just a fake rumour. But Jason fully acknowledges that and accepts that he shouldn't have reported that in the first place. So I think he is quite careful about what he reports now. So I don't think he'd report something that he wasn't quite confident in. But as you said, Kirsty, we can't be completely sure of this in the way that we can be quite confident about the photos because yeah we're literally staring at them with our eyeballs so it's quite irrefutable mm-hmm. um right okay so would you like to read out the first reports Kirsty? yeah so this says well it's a rumor about how the knights of ram play into episode nine and rumor being the key word there yes definitely so jason says some time ago, I spoke to a source about Star Wars Episode Nine, who told me that things would get interesting for Kylo Ren when a threat from the beyond reveals itself, making Kylo Ren vulnerable. There's that word again. <laughs> yeah. This threat would serve as motivating factor for Kylo and Rey's interactions as the story progressed, but the source wasn't sure which act it happened in or how it unfolded. It should be noted that a lot of what that source told me in terms of accuracy has come to fruition since that conversation. However, with just that info in hand, the understandable but knee-jerk assumption from fans would likely have gone right to the expanded universe and the Yuuzhan Vong. Now, I think I may have got the information that relieves that ambiguity a bit more. Very recently, another source with a great track record said it was really important that the Knights of Ren have returned from the beyond. The pregnant pause after that bit of information has led me to believe there's a lot to that. The fact that there is some plot significance to the Knights of Ren in the film is something else most sources have also echoed. Another rumour I have heard a few times pertains to those Red Troopers I wrote about some time ago. I have heard that the Red Troopers are called Sith Stormtroopers. Now, are they called that behind the scenes because Kylo is actually a Sith Lord now? Or do we have a game of synonyms at play where evil is the same as Sith? Anyways, the pertinent info here is that these Red Troopers answer only to Kylo Ren and the Knights of Ren exclusively. Maybe they're just the Knights of Ren's infantry? It also seems that in Episode 9, Kylo has accumulated private armies and militias under the First Order banner to strengthen any opposition to his rule. Which I I think that must be some sort of like mistake, because surely Kylo wouldn't be interested in strengthening his opposition, the people against him. He must mean like the defence of his rule, mustn't he? I thought it meant, like, to strengthen any opposition, as in, like, to protect himself from people like Hux. Right, okay, right, okay, that makes more sense. Thank you. Right. Sorry, it's just confusingly worded. That's kind of how I read it. I mean, it could be either internal opposition, or just in general, like, obviously people don't like the First Order very much, but... (laughs) Worlds that have their own defence forces are also aligned with the First Order. So it sounds like the scope of the battles in the film could be pretty large and not just have the rebellion fighting against white stormtroopers. Do these rumours connect? Let us speculate that they do, (laughs) as they really might connect like this. 
So again, this is Jason just kind of like trying to figure out how things connect. Um, it would seem Kylo Ren is putting together a large force to dominate the galaxy, but the first rumor says that a threat from beyond eventually reunites Kylo Ren with Rey, who seems to pretty much have the same hair as last time, by the way. Maybe the Knights of Ren are like the Sith. Perhaps the second person of power in the Knights' Order know knows that they have to kill Kylo to become Supreme Leader, and things get out of control for Kylo as the Knights of Ren, now generals of the First Order, try and usurp the Supreme Leader just like Kylo Ren did in The Last Jedi. This is pure speculation on my part, but if these rumours are all accurate, that could potentially be how these things connect together. Right, so there's a lot there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like like you pointed out, Kirsty, Jason is reporting a lot of this as rumour, and obviously a good chunk of it is his own speculation. So it's important to be careful. But a lot of this is stuff is really interesting, and I find it quite exciting. I really like the sounds of much of this. I particularly appreciate the idea of the beyond coming into play again because I feel like there was set up for that, especially in stuff like the Aftermath books where that's all dealt with with quite a lot of portent and then it just kind of disappeared and I wonder if that perhaps plays into something JJ had originally in mind and he's returning to that for nine. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of discussion about how since Kylo's supreme leader now, how he and Rey would like come back together and fight an external force if that's what they're going to go for yeah that could like play into kylo's eventual redemption and the only real way to do that is probably to have something else that they work towards defeating right yeah exactly whether that's the knights of ren or something else from the beyond yeah and it's so intriguing to think that that might be where the knights of ren have been all this time because obviously they've been missing in action so i can only guess snoke sent them there to do something for him and then they're going to come back and get a hell of a surprise and they find that Snoke is dead and they might not be cool with that. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a lot here, but pretty much the only things I'm taking away from it is the fact that it's likely that the Knights of Ren are in the movie. Yes. Which, again, is something that we'd heard from making Star Wars about Episode Eight, and that turned out not to be true. Yes. But they're not the only ones saying it this time. Yeah. Um, And there's still a lot of mystery around who people like Kerry Russell and Matt Smith are going to end up playing. Yeah, exactly. And they could end up being anyone, but it's it would seem odd if we didn't get the Knights of Ren at all. Yeah. So No, definitely. And I think there's so much buzz and anticipation for them. I could see them really like hyping that with the marketing and stuff. And yeah, I think there's lots of interest in narrative potential in them coming back and then there being this like civil war situation where Kylo Ren and the Knights of Ren find themselves at odds with each other. That would be very interesting because the Knights of Ren might have been changed while they were in the Beyond. They might notice that Kaido has been changed for all the Ray stuff that he's been dealing with and be like, you're not the dude we recognise anymore. We can't follow you now. <laughs> like, obviously not just because of Ray, but because he's certainly changed. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm excited for all of this. It sounds really cool to me. Yeah, the idea of the Sith Stormtroopers is a bit weird. <laughs> yeah, I don't get that. I'm taking that of a pinch of salt. And yeah, I imagine that it wouldn't be a literal return to the Sith. Because yeah, as we mentioned briefly, I think that Kylo made it very clear that he wasn't into the Sith. So I think if he has like a personal garrison serving under him, he would not be referring to them as Sith Stormtroopers. Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't really make any sense, but... 
yeah we'll see exactly we'll see it would just be kind of dumb <laughs> sometimes star wars is dumb yeah that's true yeah it depends on whether it's a um like adorable dorky dumb or if it's just like frustrating dumb but we all find out and yeah just anything that raises the possibility of kylo ren and ray having to work together again good stuff good stuff by me well it's like there's gonna have to be some kind of plot thing that like kicks that back into gear because presumably during the time jump they probably haven't been interacting like based on how things get cut off on ray's end at the end of the last jedi she's pretty mad at him with reason so there's got to be something that opens that up again yeah exactly so So it could be this could be something else entirely yeah but But some sort of external force is a good bet Mm mm-hmm yeah no so i like it and yeah in relation to that is also worth just briefly mentioning there was the reddit report that got a lot of that got a big boost when those photos leaked because that was the first thing to report about kylo's helmet being fixed with the red adhesive and the new droid that annoys bb8 things like that so that leaker seems very very reliable now and one aspect of that report is that they said there was going to be like a big climactic battle between ray and kylo ren and mm. I think based on the various tidbits we're getting, I think that might be a relatively early fight. So I think it might form like a centerpiece of the marketing and like a big hype moment. But I think that would be used as a fake out so that everyone's thinking like, oh, this is the movie about the rematch between Rey and Kylo. When in the film itself, it's actually about, okay, yeah, we get a rematch between them. But that isn't what the whole film's building towards because there's all these power struggles and different conflicts going on. And Ray and Kylo have to knock their heads together and sort themselves out and then go off and face something bigger. Yeah. And then the next report is also from Making Star Wars. So this is from Jason. Everything I hear behind the scenes about Star Wars Episode Nine is that our heroes and our villains are in a race to find something. That something or MacGuffin is supposedly going to be delightful but somewhat controversial. However, at this point, I don't know what it actually is. At one point in the story, our heroes are all reunited on on this quest. My guess is that structurally, Finn and Poe Dameron follow their threads and end up on that classic sand planet, lots more to that later, and then Rey too ends up at the same location. The heroes celebrate being reunited at a festival of sorts in a happy moment, a quiet before the storm of the ending. It is still a mystery as to if Kylo Ren Ben Solo is an adversary at this point in the story, but we do know that they all end up in Jordan together filming on location. But with the promotional work being undertaken at that time, and with Adam Driver's limited time at the location, I don't know what to make of it at this time. So the feeling of Star Wars Episode Nine is going to have that urgency we've seen in Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark type films. We know the war element in this movie is going to be rather large based on what has been shot and the size of the script, which is pretty long for a Star Wars film. The idea of our heroes and villains in a race against time while battles across the galaxy are fought sounds really badass if that's how this plays out. I just need to know what the MacGuffin is. What could it possibly be? Star Wars The Force Awakens used to open with Luke's severed hand and the lightsaber falling to the ground and that started the adventure, but I have no indications that that's the item no one is into cloning luke it seems i have no idea if it's a clone army or what but i don't think kylo cares too much about that considering what he already has but i just know that both sides want it and it drives the story to the culmination of the skywalker saga 
Shall I tell you the funniest guess I've seen at what the MacGuffin is? Oh, God, what? <laughs> Baby. <laughs> what? <laughs> Gross. <laughs> I was like, what do you even mean? <laughs> Like, they were flying Rain Kylo's baby. I was like, that makes literally no sense. A baby that they both just somehow lost and then everyone's <laughs> like, oh, fuck, we've got to find this baby. <laughs> what is wrong with people? <laughs> oh, okay. I find it so Great, funny. sounds good. <laughs> Can't wait to see that in the movie. Oh, my God. Yeah, that sounds like Ray. You know, after her parents had treated her like absolute trash and abandoned her, she'd definitely do that to her own child. <laughs> it's so bizarre, and yeah, that would make Ray look really good. Exactly, and it's just absolutely not is the answer to that theory. Um, but yeah, really, God knows. <laughs> like as Jason has stressed, he doesn't have any idea what the MacGuffin is. Yeah, that. It's amazing, actually, that he's managed to spin out this entire article about oh, there's going to be a MacGuffin. <laughs> Yes. As there are in most films. I know, I know. I find it so funny. Um, like I think for me, the only like substantial thing I could see to this is the concept of the heroes being reunited at a festival of sorts and a happy moment. So I get the impression he's reporting that as a rumour he's heard rather than just wild speculation. Mm. So I think that would be new. But Yeah, I mean that's a that's a, like, a nice idea of like them all you know, being on that planet together and like having a little moment of like rest and celebration and then getting back into the action after that. And like maybe something happens at that celebration if Kylo does show up somehow, but like he's coming somehow in peace. Maybe. It seems like Jason is unsure. Yeah. If he turns up, it's like, is he coming to confront Ray or is it like, this is his turning point or what? Yeah. Or it could just be a force bond type thing. Yeah, true. Yeah, there's many possibilities. If he does, like, literally crash the party, that would be so funny to me. Oh, that, you know, a major part of redemption stories that I love is then seeing them awkwardly try to get along with the heroes. I so badly want Kylo and Finn interactions. Yeah, oh, God. I feel like it would be a wasted opportunity to not get that. I have this idea in my head that literally just came to me that, like, Ray, Finn and Poe just, like, chat around the fire at the party, like, just catching up. Rose. And Rose, yes, yeah, sorry, sorry. And Rose, they're all there catching up around the fire. <laughs> and then someone notices, perhaps Rose, like, give her something significant. Uh, she looks up and says, look, there's a TIE fighter. Uh, and <laughs> and it comes, like, zooming down. And then they realise it's in trouble, so it's, like, spiralling out of control. And then it, like, makes this really embarrassing crash landing near the party site. And then, like, they all, like, rush over to find out who's in it. And it's Kylo Ren! <laughs> And then it's a really, like, funny, like, comedic situation where, like, Finn and Poe just want to murder him. And, like, Ray's like, oh, no, <laughs> please don't. <laughs> um, and, yeah, it would just be hilarious. But that won't happen, mm-hmm. but <laughs> it, would, it would please me. <laughs> My niche ideas. Mm. How would you want to see a party play out with these characters, Kirsty, with Kylo Ren involved? Oh, God, I don't know. Like, I, I, I do really like the idea of having some downtime and... That would be a good point for like an emotional kind of sharing between characters. Yes, definitely. Because um, there hasn't been much time for that in The Last Jedi, like, you know, Ray being reunited with Finn and that. Yeah. Um, I do think those like little lulls and moments of quiet is so important. Yeah. So yeah, I'm glad to hear we're getting something like that. But yeah, it doesn't seem like Jason's clear on how Kylo fits into that, if at all. So 
Maybe we'll hear more soon. Yeah. It sounds intriguing. Like, so we weren't sure if Adam was in Jordan at any point, but I guess it, this kind of confirms that. Yeah, exactly. And I've heard other whisperings that suggest he was there, like at least briefly, like which it's just like his schedule, man. <laughs> it just must have mm. been ridiculous. Um, but yeah, it's very intriguing. Right, okay, and then just to round off the show, I did a little thing on Tumblr where I asked for questions because I've been pretty rubbish at the audience participation stuff with the podcast recently. So I wanted to try and make more of an effort. So we got a few questions. Some of them I won't be reading out purely because I feel like we've already discussed them, but we still really appreciate you writing in. So thank you very much. Um, Right, and then the first question we want to discuss is from Cosmogonica. And they say... Hello, dear. I saw your call for questions. Been following you ever since The Force Awakens. Thank you very much. I'd love to know your opinion on the making Star Wars leaks of the Knights of Ren, the Beyond, and the Mysterious MacGuffin. Done. <laughs> um, could it be an object that can only be triggered, opened, used by two Force users on opposite sides of the Force, light and dark, being Kylo and Rey? Thanks. It very well could be. Um, I think that'd be a really cool idea. I'd like to see something like that. Um, there's no evidence supporting that that might be the case at this point, but I think it would make thematic sense given the whole yin yang thing that clearly going forward with Rain Kylo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've seen that before in Rebels when Maul and Ezra had to open the holocron together. Yeah, so it'd be some nice corporate synergy. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's your favourite word. So it's a canon precedent. Yes. Um, yeah, could be. I mean, yeah, it sounds like it could be anything at this point, so we've really just kind of got to sit tight and wait. But, um, yeah, I like the idea of it in terms of Kylo and Rey having to work together. Yeah, exactly. And it would fit with what we know. But, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Right, then the next question is from an anonymous user on Tumblr. What do you think could have been the Lucasfilm thought process behind dressing Rey and Kylo very similar to The Force Awakens, but seemingly not the other characters? The leaked photos of Poe and Finn show that they have a very different aesthetic compared to the first two movies, whereas Rey and Kylo are essentially wearing slightly changed versions of what they wore in The Force Awakens. Thank you. If you don't can't respond to this, it's fine. Oh, I won't read that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, again, I think there's something we touched upon in the main discussion, but I think you make a good point in saying how Rey and Kylo look so similar to how they have in the past, whereas the other characters have changed quite substantially. And... Again, I think that's another part of the messaging behind this whole idea of regression because Poe and Finn have clearly moved on and developed in their roles and they've become more established and confident about who they are and what their part is in the Resistance. Whereas Rey and Kylo, deep down, they're still lost and insecure and they're not quite sure of where they stand in things. And they both try to hide that from the external world and from themselves to some extent by retreating into their former selves and that's reflected by the costumes like it's not quite as clear-cut as that there has been some progression for both of them but it's just a question of whether it's always been the healthiest progression so yeah i think it's just also the nature of them as the space wizards of the movie as opposed to military personnel yes this is true which is what poe finn and the first order officers are more like like their their costumes are more practical and not so tied up in their sense of personal identity whereas Rey and Kylo it's all about that you know fantastical symbolism between the two of them yes and like what they're supposed to represent for the force side of the story so yeah I mean this is all obvious but yeah 
It's just like they're they're set apart because they occupy a different role within the story. Yeah. So, and I think um, it's also worth mentioning that they're meant to be symbols within the universe of the film as well, because Ray is a symbol for the Resistance. So she's their like great hope going forward, the beacon of the light for the Resistance cause. Whereas Kylo Ren is this like dreaded, fearsome warlord, and they both dress according to those roles, basically. So yeah, it mm-hmm. makes lots of sense. Mm-hmm. and then the final Anon question says I personally love Ray's outfit it's simple and elegant and reflects her maturation into a woman but at the same time its similarity to her original gear maybe speaks to her trying to recapture the childlike innocence she had prior to interacting with Kylo Ben I like the stark white colour that ties her close to the legacies of Padme and Leia and contrasts well with Ben's get up I also appreciate the subtle detail of the arm bracelet that covers her scar yeah no and i basically agree with you i like all those things too um Mm -hmm. i I like the thought that she's maybe trying to recapture some of the innocence um that's a pretty blinding white that she's wearing there and i think that in combination with stuff like the covering up of the scar with the armband i think they're not being particularly subtle with that so yeah it goes back to that whole erasure of all the complex messy aspects of themselves too present a certain image to the world yeah and i'm sure that's not really conscious on the part of the character it's not like there's an in-universe aspect to that it's just supposed to quickly convey something to the audience yeah exactly which i'm sure is all like subconscious as well because most people won't be looking into it as much as us yeah so. no definitely it's probably stuff that was discussed between the costume designers and jj because that's their job to care about that sort of thing and to think about what's being evoked when they craft these costumes but yeah, like we're not going to see like Ray giving like a lingering look to the scar on her arm and then covering it up with the armband. Although that'd be great and I'd like it. So yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just one final thing I wanted to mention is the point I alluded to earlier when we were discussing the costumes in the photo leak is that like, I think that a practical reason why Ray might need to change clothes is because I think the outfit she wears in that photo is perfectly appropriate and suitable for a sand planet, but I don't think it's at all suitable for an ice planet. Oh no. Of course we've seen Ray dress completely inappropriately for an ice planet before when she was on Starkiller Base and she literally just had the jacket and then not even the jacket. Well, she didn't get much of a say with that, did she? Yeah, but she didn't get much of a say. There wasn't really much chance to like organise it and like sort out a wardrobe in advance. Maybe Kylo was working on something probably didn't have time um yeah so hopefully there'll be a bit more prep that goes into the visit to this snow planet this time and she'll be able to wear environment appropriate attire i hope so i'd like ray to be comfortable yeah exactly otherwise she'll literally be like freezing her ass off so that would be very unpleasant um but yeah i think that's the perfect note to end the show on (laughs) um is there anything else you'd like to bring up Kirsty, before we close off not really. Um, yeah, it's like we can look at these for hours, but really only so much we can draw out right now because we know so little about everything else. Yeah, so. exactly. So I know it's frustrating when we're just like, yeah, sounds cool. But yeah, like sometimes without being disingenuous, you can like go into it much more than that. Um, but yeah, so thank you so much for listening, everyone. Um, I'm Rachel and you can find me at Stars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? 
I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, bye! Bye!